Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 39 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Joining me today is my good friend Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you? I am doing well, Larry. Doing well. How are you on this Thursday evening? I am actually fantastic. I had uh, I've had a good week at therapy. I've uh, learned how to get up off the ground. Shall I happen to fall at some point, or if I just want to like sit on the floor and like play with my kid? Um, so or you have a good. life alert. Button. Yeah. But I uh, got, got to practice uh, walking up and down steps, which actually went well. And ironically enough, much easier with the prosthetic leg because my left knee was so shitty after all these years. So, And I was dealing with a torn ACL before I had the whole amputation. So I, that actually went a lot better than I thought. And No, just a, another good week overall, no complaints. And uh, I actually had a nice night this evening. I... Uh, Hung out with my oldest daughter. Uh, she decided that we hadn't got to go out and do anything together in a while. And she wanted to go to Waffle House. And I'm always down for that. So we went and hung out at the Waffle House this evening. And had a nice time on. And just hung out and talked for a while. So God, that was that was my evening. It was good. I saw you posting pictures of Waffle House. And I was very jealous. I was, yeah. I, was, I, was, I had a nice time. And uh, had a little, little steak and eggs. And... Uh, some good stuff, you know, but yeah, uh, it was, just, it was nice to get out and I haven't been able to, you know, wasn't obviously going out a lot and it's uh, a little easier going out now and, uh, going out less with the wheelchair and walking more with the leg and stuff. And so that's, uh, that's been good. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing better, buddy. It's always, again, you know, your goal, your goal is wrestle Kate. That's right. I'm, I'm getting there, man. Slowly, but slowly, but it's, it's going well. Can't really complain. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's been a busy day. I was actually back on the uh, on the semi news coverage beat for a little bit this morning. So it was WWE Financials Day, and, a uh, fun day. I have to cover that as well. And yeah. it's always fun listening to to Vince McMahon try to tell you why business isn't tanking right now. Yeah, and that's kind of we're not going to get like deep into the business because that's not exactly what Jeremy and I do best. But we will talk a little bit about. Uh, the WWE Investors Conference call and uh, Vince McMahon in particular. And this was a, if you guys never listen to these calls, they are always fascinating. First of all, there's uh, George Barrius Bingo, where he uh, has his various talking points of churn and, uh, you know, EBITDA and all the things that he, uh, he, he likes to talk about. And then there's also the Barrius Deflection Game. Where he, he gets <laughs> That's my asked, favorite one. Yes, he gets asked the question. He goes, "We'd re- rather not get into that right now, or yeah, we're, we're not going to talk gonna about get into specifics." <laughs> and like the best one is they were asked about like the the upcoming India TV deal, and he was like, "Well, we're not going to get into that right now because the deal's not done," which I understood. So then the caller goes, "We'll I have a follow up." They're like, "Um, what kind of internal metrics are you using to?" Uh, think that you're getting such a big deal and that it's going to be such a, a, a benefit for the company he goes, well, we're not going to get into internal metrics. It's like, this is a fucking investor's call. You're supposed to get into internal metrics here. It's why the question was asked. I I love the financials call because it's, it's Barrios just 
dodging everything he can or giving a bunch of non-answers or scoffing at the answers and the investors are always trying to you know push and see well you know what about this even on things like uh to today he avoided like fox sports and nxt like that those reports are out there big time and he's like yeah we're not getting into that and yeah. michelle wilson pipes in on again and then vince gets on and you can tell he doesn't want to deal with these business questions and uh just wants to talk about like kind of the wrestling aspect of it but these people are more or less business people not so much wrestling fans and and but when vince gets pressed about wrestling stuff he doesn't want to talk about that either and so he just like defiantly answers all of these questions he sounded in such a good mood today the the best part is the start of this call when uh vince starts off and he goes uh uh, you know, we released our financials this morning, and uh, the, uh, the revenue is down, and uh, it is what it is. But we've yeah, completed I mean... more TV deals, and we have a new India <laughs> one coming up, and he's like, but it was just like, he sounded so defeated like eight seconds into this call. It was like, oh my god, I was like, that was great. And then he, he hyped the Heyman and Bischoff stuff, and he said, uh... The the best part about them is that they can uh, help him focus on long-term story, storytelling and talent development because he can no longer be in the weeds all the time. We'll see. We we will see if Vince is going to get back in the weeds. But we've seen some good things from the Heyman and I guess the first night of the Bischoff era, although Vince reportedly rewrote that whole show five minutes before it happened. So... Who the hell knows with Vince? I know what we're going to talk about, and we'll transition into it. He he mentioned AEW, didn't directly mention AEW, but he you could tell he was not happy with, with things. Uh, you could tell he was in a bad mood when he was indirectly, directly mentioning the competition. Well, yeah, it started off, they were asked about the recent negative variety piece on him, basically t- saying that WWE was out of excuses. And Vince said, we've definitely turned the corner, which was a quote, and that the new executive directors, Heyman and Bischoff, can give them more depth on storytelling and storylines and uh, talent development. And then he said, we're going to be edgier, but remain PG. No blood and guts like our potential new competitor. We have graduated to a more sophisticated product. Now, let's dig into this a little bit. The blood and guts, he's obviously talking about the Cody and Dustin match. Where Dustin tapped the gusher on his blade job, and it obviously added a ton of drama to the match. And, you know, a lot of people loved it. But here's the thing. Your more sophisticated product, does that include A, pants pissing, B, back shaving, or C, telling a 295-pound trained MMA fighter to beat the fuck out of Randy Orton with shoot elbow strikes to bust him open instead of using a blade, and then giving him a severe concussion and putting him out for six weeks. That's that's all in the past, Larry. Those those angles happened months ago. In the case of Orton and Lesnar, years ago. So that doesn't matter anymore. They've graduated from that. It was just the the biggest amount of bullshit, but it was so him talking about the the blood and guts. It was just it was hilarious. 
I I just liked my favorite part was actually the whole I don't know if TNT is going to be putting up with this. Like, yeah, that was the end of the call. He was specifically asked about yeah. AEW and he said competition is good for everybody. But I hope that our perceived competition doesn't continue with the blood and guts because I can't imagine TNT would want that. Like, all right, you're have you talked to TNT? Like, you're not quite sure what they want. And it's already been stated by, by Tony Khan that, like, yeah, we're probably not going to do like uh, Janela Moxley style matches on our television. So don't expect that. Like, AEW is not stupid. They're, they're, if TNT doesn't want something like that, they're not going to do it. They can still do it on pay-per-view. WWE can still do it on pay-per-view. Like, it doesn't have to be on USA or now Fox. Like, they could still do blood on pay-per-view and and cursing and stuff like that. I mean, they've, they've been more lenient on cursing lately. Uh, but they could do blood on the network if they wanted to. Like, it's the network. It's their own standards. And it's pay-per-view. Like, people still buy it and stuff. Uh, they still have their 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 deals with pay-per-view that that hasn't changed like you would still do blood on dish network or whatever their pay-per-view distributors are nowadays it just it cracks me up because if anybody remembers this is in line with what he said about tna when tna went to mondays this was back when vince talked about their lowbrow tawdry content trying to compete with them because they were doing blood on tv a lot with like abyss at the time and this is also the same man that actually wasn't a big fan of ECW, but god damn if he didn't borrow a lot of ECW for the Attitude Era. Yeah, and let, let's be honest, like TNA kind of failed in that area and ECW on television failed as well. So I think on television, he kind of has a point that that kind of stuff uh, might not fly. But ECW, just they weren't a good television product. TNA, I mean... Fuck, they, they have enough issues, and I think we're going to talk about some more later on. Uh, but he's coming from a place where the, – the other comparison I saw was, was Bischoff apparently said the same thing when WWE was transitioning to the Attitude Era. And he was like, yeah, well, USA is not going to like that and all this stuff. And, I mean, USA let it slide for a while, and then the ratings kind of changed and the whole product kind of changed and whatnot. I think Vince has – a point of I don't know if TNT is going to be happy with this. It was just so weird to like hear him mention it on this conference call and like really address AEW uh, without directly addressing them because okay, Triple H can take shots, Sami Zayn, which obviously had Vince's approval, can can say it, but to hear it directly from Vince when all these investors are on the line and stuff, that like that was the part that like got at me, not the actual content of what he said, even though that was funny uh, and you could just tell he was in a bad mood, but just to hear him be like, yeah, potential competitors, they're doing this like on this conference call. I was like, whoa, okay, he must be in a real bad mood if he's going to bring this stuff up. Yeah, it was, that was really interesting today. And I, uh, yeah, the, the Vince calls can be so much fun because there are times where he just doesn't sound like he cares and he just kind of says stuff. And then there's today where he's just like angry and pissed off at the world. And, you know, and like, and basically the, the long, the, the short of the long of the whole financials is basically all the key metrics are down. And that's in a WrestleMania quarter and a quarter where they had a Saudi Arabia show. So live events are still down. Ratings are down, you know, revenue stuff down. 
but they did make a profit in the quarter. And the long-term picture is the fact that they're going to make a fuck ton of money come the fall with the TV deals. And they're going to have a profitable year at the end of the year. And that's all that really matters, which is why the stock didn't drop dramatically or anything like that and actually went up. So, I mean, that's the uh, kind of the short take on it. But it's just, uh, like Jeremy said, it was just more fascinating to hear Vince actually. Because in the past, they would be asked about TNA and they'd be like, well, we don't really have competition. But to hear him talk about our perceived and our potential competition and actually hear someone ask about AEW on the call and him give an answer, I mean, yeah, very interesting. I mean, you kind of have no choice because it's the investor's call now and it's, it is more of a reality with AEW being on TNT. You know, it's like a legit network and everything. And, you know, TNA was on Spike and all that. But, I mean, they just never looked at TNA back then as anything. And their their whole... The whole mantra at the time was not to talk about TNA at all. As for as much as TNA wanted to talk about them. But, yeah, it's a interesting times, Jeremy. Certainly is. Certainly is. And... Well, we'll see what happens with WWE and like when Vince said, yeah, the the revenue is he said like 260 million or something. It's like it is what it is. Like obviously you can take that as a bad thing because they expected it to be higher given that it wasn't they did have a Saudi show, they did have WrestleMania and all this stuff. I heard like 260 and I'm like yeah, that sounds like a good thing to me. Like I'd love to make 260 million in a quarter. I I wouldn't be complaining about that shit. Be like, yeah, it is what it is. I'm fucking rich. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to be in a bad mood when I'm making that much uh, every three months. Yeah, so, but yeah, uh, interesting times. It's uh, always fun to listen to this. But yeah, if you guys ever have a chance, you can find the calls on the WWE corporate site. It's not like you have to like have a super special invitation to get into it, but it's uh, the George Barrios uh, bingo and deflection game is honestly the best part. But yeah, Vince talking about AEW is very interesting. And we talked a little bit about uh, past TNA and uh, we're going to talk a little impact wrestling right now and uh, you know Jeremy and I we talked previously about uh, the Slammiversary pay-per-view which was a really good show uh, as impact has been very re- reliable in delivering very good to great pay-per-views since uh, the Callis Moore regime took over and uh, we talked about you know, they just, you know hopefully they follow up well and we're hope we were hoping for a TV deal announcement soon and uh there was the possibility of access TV and uh, apparently that's not happening right now. That deal is done. They're going to stay on pursuit. They've extended their deal with Twitch, but apparently the real big story now is that uh, Anthem was looking into trying to buy access TV as far back as December and obviously make that a home for impact and another revenue stream for that company. Um, the reason they're on pursuit, we all know, is because Anthem has ownership in it and because they didn't want to sign a long-term deal at a bad TV location like Pursuit is because then they'd be locked into it. Because Anthem has ownership in Pursuit, they could just slide into Pursuit. It's a shitty deal, and they're on Twitch to make up for the people like me that don't get it, but it does allow them to hopefully jump out of it should they find something new which I think we're all hoping for. Uh, They were hoping to announce this deal in June and then uh, hopefully after Slammiversary, but things did not work out. Uh, The Axis deal fell apart and um, 
there's still talk that it could still happen in some form. Maybe not them buying it, but them being aired on it. But uh, right now, Impact is stuck on Pursuit and Twitch, Jeremy. Uh, your thoughts on the fact that Anthem actually tried to buy Access TV? That was the most fascinating part to me, is that Anthem was like, all right, you're not going to give us this slot, or let's just buy this thing. I actually, I would not... I wouldn't look at that as a good thing if I'm really anyone outside of, I guess, Access who smartly turned it down. I mean, Anthem has their own television show. It's Pursuit. No one gets it. But they can't even do well with Impact like on the network they already have. Why should I believe that if they buy Access that Impact stands a better chance? Like, Is that going to fix their... DVR problems and airing commercials and airing the wrong show like you already have them on your network you should be doing the best you can for them right now not putting them at Fridays at 10 and making all of these mistakes so just because I like I think Anthem is the problem here not that they can't find a television deal like Anthem is, is clearly an issue here and it sucks for everyone involved because the product isn't bad the pay-per-views are always great and they, they've got a lot of talent um and they seem to have good ideas like the the twitch thing is good they they've got their own impact plus i don't know how well that's doing but they hold a lot of uh specials and stuff on that like we saw a title change on it not too long ago uh you can you know it's basically the, the wwe network for for impact except they kind of have more like singular live specials i guess technically every wwe pay-per-view is on the network but still impact is doing very well with their streaming service um and as, as far as a uh, content delivery goes i don't know financially how well it's doing uh but like anthem seems to be an issue and i feel bad for impact i wish they could get on a television station that cares about them and and gives them some some leeway and just doesn't screw up things but th this company there's just no juice in this company none like they just had their television tapings last weekend it was two sets there was a friday night and a saturday night tapings people got the saturday night results no one literally no one it wasn't even the observer today had the the friday results and the x division title changed hands on that show and no one knows that the X Division title actually changed. Spoiler alert, by the way, everyone. Sorry. Uh, the X Division title changed hands on that show. And Rhino returned and like Impact had to tweet that out themselves because no one else tweeted it. There was nothing from that Friday show and very little from the Saturday show. Like The company is just ice cold right now. And that's a shame, too, because like I've, I've said repeatedly, the, the weekly TV is always solid to good. The pay-per-views always deliver. There's a lot of good talent there, and it's 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 a shame. It really is. And I just like I, I posted on uh, the four on one Twitter, and someone took it completely the wrong way. I, I basically wrote like these poor bastards can't catch a break, you know. And I just I feel so bad for the talent, and I do. And it's and someone's like, oh well, yeah, of course they don't catch breaks with attitudes like that. I'm like, listen, asshole, I'm not the fucking problem here. I'm one of the few people that actually covers this goddamn promotion and writes about it all the time and does previews and does live coverage and actually gives a shit. Look at all the other websites that don't cover the goddamn show, okay? 
Look at all the other places that don't do a post-pay-per-view podcast on it because they didn't watch it. Okay, don't give me shit. I I I legitimately, I no one should yell at Larry for anything that, really for anything because he watches more wrestling than all of us and wants to cover everything, like literally everything. Um, As far as like, oh, you don't want them to succeed, or you're giving, you're saying bad things about them. You can yell at Larry for his star ratings. They're they're terrible. I'm just kidding. Um, But. So behind the scenes here, so like you know, RVD returned uh, at the Raw reunion, and he wasn't advertised or anything. And I didn't see this as a big deal. I was like, why is this a big deal? And people are telling me because, well, he's an Impact star and he's in WWE. I was like, great. Why? Why does this matter? And I had to write a news story on it. I was like, this is so stupid. Just because he's a fucking impacts are like no one cares about this company no one it's so it's so ice cold right now like nobody cares about this company and it is a shame and like i i just said it like i don't really care about it honestly because they can put on these good shows they can put on these great pay-per-views and they're not gonna get anywhere and it almost just feels like a waste and They've had so much, so many chances to succeed. They they've screwed all those up. Like I I want I'd rather see these talents in companies where that are just more visible because a lot of them deserve that that kind of uh, publicity. Yeah, it's it's a shame, man. I just I I like you said. I I wish that they could find a a strong viable TV deal that puts them on a more visible network and that. You know, they could actually make some money off of it would be great. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Hopefully something picks up for them. But it's, uh, I, I don't know. People, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's fine. They still have the Twitch and Pursuit deal. No, that's not fine. It's really not fine, guys. It's not good for them. It's a bad thing. And I just, hopefully they can fix it soon. But please don't sit there and say it's a good thing in any way. No, the pursuit deal is terrible. The it's really, really terrible. Like I just said, like this is pursuit is owned by the same company that owns Impact, and the best they're doing for them is ten o'clock on Friday nights. Like no one's watching this shit, and then they're screwing that up by airing the wrong stuff. The Twitch deal is fine, just because it's online streaming, and like you have Impact Plus as well. Like they're they're truthfully better off just trying to be like a streaming promotion, all, almost like ROH. Like ROH, no one watches the, the television product, and, and the television product kind of sucks. Um, like Excuse just go. Me. I watch it. Yes. Well, when I say no one, I I should, I should preface this by like no one but Larry Zonka who just wants to cover literally everything. Fair enough. Uh, but like no one watches. I actually did tweet like no one watches this stuff. And someone like tweeted me like I watch ROH television and I wanted to be a dick and just be like, well, you're the one. Uh, but I didn't. I just liked the tweet because she took the time out to reply to my tweet to to let me know that ROH has a couple fans out there. Um, it, but like ROH is streaming their television now on, on Honor Club because they realize that
I will kill the awkward silence now as Jeremy has been disconnected. But yeah, the uh, and that's uh, to go on to continue to talk about ROH a little bit. It's not like the ROH product is hot in any way either right now. So, I mean, it's not that we're defending the ROH product either. They have their own issues, and we'll talk a little bit more about the ROH issues later on. But it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely just, uh, Impact needs to do something, and I just, I hope that they can figure it out. And, um, yes, you're going to hear the Skype stuff now while I try to, you there? Yo, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. My power just flipped off, but I put my internet to my phone, so in case it happens again, you shouldn't lose me. No problem. I uh, I, I waited a couple seconds to see if you'd pop back on, and then I just, uh, I said, by, basically by no means were we defending the ROH product either, because they're ice cold as well, And but uh, just bottom line is it, it would be really nice if, uh, if Impact could find something positive TV-wise, because they need it badly. Yeah. So that's uh, so again, and I'm I'm sure p- some people are gonna play the whole I don't like Impact card, but um, you know what? I've been covering the damn product since it started, and there's probably almost nobody on this earth that has spent more money on that product covering it than I have. So we will move on. Uh, Jimmy Uso, early oh Thursday morning, was arrested and put in the Uso Penitentiary for driving under the influence in Pensacola, Florida. This is rather ironic considering on Monday night, John Cena made fun of him for being previously arrested and having a mugshot, which was also for a DUI. Uh, Basically, he was uh, given a speeding citation. The officer was driving behind him. Um, Basically, he was speeding, driving erratically, swerving left and right. Uso pulled over. He smelled of alcohol, refused to take DUI tests, and was then arrested. So uh, then WWE issued one of their famous statements, Jonathan Fatu is responsible for his own personal actions. He uh, he was released after posting a $1,000 bond. And to start this off, I will go, first of all, stop breaking the law, asshole. (laughs) How fucking hard is it? You have money. Hire a driver, call a cab, call a fucking Uber, do something, you're gonna kill somebody, you stupid son of a bitch. Okay? <laughs> so, how about that? There is no excuse when you have fucking money like this to get arrested for a DUI. It's stupid, it shows that you don't give a shit about anybody, and it also shows that you need some fucking help. So, go to some alcohol treatment, Okay. I think getting help is the biggest thing here because this isn't his first um, DUI. I think it's his third overall. He had one in 2012 and 2013. And then he had the disorderly conduct charge earlier this year. Um, It's clearly some type of an issue. And I, I mean, WWE offers treatment programs like just enter into one and and get treatment. Don't worry about your spot in the company. Like you've just signed new five-year deals. You're, you're fine. Uh, don't, don't worry about that stuff. Just get, get your, get yourself together because this can't keep happening. Um, this can't at this point, it's not even like a funny thing. It's just, 
get some help because you're you're embarrassing yourself you're embarrassing your wife you're embarrassing the promotion and like wwe needs to even say to him like hey we, we've got to take you off television you, you gotta you gotta check into this program at least do it for a couple of months like i'm not saying it should be a big publicity stunt but they they should get him into some type of program and he seems like the kind of guy who would acquiesce and just be like, okay, you're right. Like I need to do this. I don't know. I like I've never met the man and this history of arrest isn't good, but something needs to happen. Something needs to change. And the very least to get an Uber, get a lift, like, come on. What, what's wrong with you that you can't like dial up Uber or Lyft or something and, and get a ride because you're, you're endangering yourself. You're endangering others. It's just not, not good for anyone. Yeah. It's, and I, I have no time for shit like this, especially when you got people with fucking money, man. Anytime I hear about like a celebrity or some athlete like that, it's like, it's just the stupidest thing. It's like, if you know you're going to go out and have a good time and listen, I'm all for having a go to- good time and going to getting shitty drunk and stuff. That is not the issue here. The issue is, if you know you're going to do it, hire a goddamn driver beforehand. You got the money. There are services for this shit, okay? It's not hard. But yeah, it's just a poor decision. I am all for him being pulled off TV for a while and sent to rehab or whatever. Whatever treatment they uh, need to do for him. Because, as you said, it's not the first time. And it feels like it's a a, uh, part of a bigger problem. It definitely, definitely feels like part of a bigger problem. And that's why go, go get some help, Jimmy. Like you got to be responsible for your own actions. Go get some help. Yeah. So a little bit of breaking news here on the Twitter, Jeremy, uh, new Japan has announced the first entrance for the super J cup, 2019. We have show, we have dragon Lee and TJP. All right. We're, we're in good business here with show and dragon Lee. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, TJP will be a fresh face in there, too, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, that parlays into more New Japan work for him. He, I mean, He's already won the most prestigious cruiserweight tournament in the last five years, so got a history of winning these things. There you go. So, yeah, so that's uh, that'll be fun to look forward to. I'm excited about Super J-Cup. Um, but uh, moving on, we will talk about obviously uh, one of the some of the other big news of the week was uh, AEW finally announced their uh, TV time slot, and that's going to be Wednesday nights, uh, eight to ten p.m. on TNT, starting October second. And um, then the uh, I think the real question now is because there have been tons of rumors, and you brought it up of talking about the investors call, Jeremy. Will WWE counter pro program with an extended version of NXT on Fox Sports One? I think they will. There's there's a lot of smoke to this, and usually when there's this much smoke, there's some type of fire. Uh, putting it on Fox Sports One would certainly be the way to go. Like AEW would still be at an advantage, especially if nxt stays one hour even if they go to two hours like tnt's just in more homes than, than fox sports one uh but is at a bigger promotional advantage they could potentially have nxt promoted on uh fox during nfl and mlb games and college football games and that that nature so it could be at a bigger promotional advantage if, if they go that route 
But it seems like it's going to happen. Just depends on what it's going to be. I think it's going to be a two-hour counter program no matter what, whether that's NXT being on there, whether it's uh, – and then like the, 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 the studio show that is announced but isn't official. Um, but I, I feel like the studio show will probably be that, that Wednesday night as sort of the, the bridge between Raw and SmackDown and you have NXT as well. But I think regardless, you're going to see – counter-programming from WWE in some type of way um, on Wednesday nights on beginning October 2nd. Yeah, as you said, there's a lot of smoke to it. And uh, the uh, the NXT to Fox Sports 1 rumors have been around since the initial announcement of the Fox deal. There's been a lot of talk about that. And um, honestly, uh, the interesting thing is the viewership difference between Fox Sports 1 and TNT isn't that bad. TNT is in about 89 million homes. Fox Sports 1 is in about 82. So that's not too bad. But of course, uh, the advantage WWE would have is the fact that it is WWE product and that they could be advertised on Big Fox. Um, and then also you could have things like, you know, there's been lots of talk about um, main roster stars appearing on NXT and doing stuff like that. And, um, I mean, listen, I'm all for AEW and I'm all for something new and I'm hoping it works out really well because I think we need it and competition is great. But, I mean, if you're going to pop up and tell me, like, Wednesday night on NXT, Daniel Bryan faces Adam Cole or some shit like that, and I'm going to be like, oh, you know what? Probably going to want to watch NXT first that night. You know I mean? Because there's a lot you could do. But, it, um, yeah, and, again, it's uh, we, we joke about it from time to time, but, um, why would you expect anything less? Um, when Vince gets into war mode and he wants to prove he's the best, I mean, these are all calculated hits by the World Wrestling Federation, man. It's what Vince does. And that's I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just that's what they do. No, I don't I don't look at it as a as a negative thing at all. Like you're gonna bring everyone says NXT is the best brand in WWE and they're they're right, um, in, in my estimation. Like you're gonna bring that to a bigger audience uh, if you if you put them on Fox Sports and okay maybe you know maybe they don't do the numbers that uh, AEW does and I wouldn't expect them to but you're still bringing this to a bigger audience like you're still and, you know people are gonna hear like these these both shows I guess the only downfall is people who would tune into AEW as well because it's going to be that word of mouth thing and and that's why. We all remember the Monday Night Wars and, you know, there was 9 million fans watching. There would be, you know, 5 million watching WWE, 4 million watching WCW. And then when WCW went out of the way, everyone just thought, okay, well, now 9 million people are going to watch WWE. It doesn't quite work like that, but it worked because more people had just heard about wrestling during the Monday Night Wars. And so they tuned in to both shows. There wasn't much crossover. And I guess we're learning that there's still not a whole lot of uh, crossover between the AEW pay-per-view audience and the WWE pay-per-view audience. So you're just going to get more people watching on Wednesday nights, and it's just going to boost the profile of both shows, even if it's not like a crossover between the two, like people may think. It's just going to, just the word of mouth is going to boost the the profile of both shows. Yeah, I think in this case, though, there probably will be a lot of crossover because I think the kind of people that enjoy the NXT product are the kind of people that are looking to watch AEW. Because they're oh, for looking, sure. You know, they're looking I, for more of a wrestling-based show, and 
You know, there's a lot of people that... How many times do you hear people talk about, like, yeah, like, I don't watch Raw and SmackDown, but I don't miss NXT and love TakeOver? I would venture to guess that everyone who knows about AEW already watches NXT, but maybe not everyone who knows about AEW... um, let me let me get my thoughts together on that <laughs> as I uh, blank out on what I was trying to say. Everyone who watches NXT knows about AEW, but maybe not everyone who watches AEW knows about NXT because NXT does cater to that like hardcore online fan base. And so if you're watching NXT, you probably know about AEW. But if you're watching AEW, you might not know about NXT because maybe you saw like an AEW ad on uh, during the NBA playoffs or something, or maybe you've just seen something in the in the public eye. Your friends have been talking about it, and you know they're holding these big shows on pay per view and stuff. But you're just not like a WWE fan, so you don't watch Raw or SmackDown, and by proxy, you've just never really heard about NXT or never thought to check out NXT because. Uh, it's associated with WWE. But now, if they're going head-to-head and you see people talking about NXT while they're also talking about AEW and all these people are praising it, if you had never watched NXT prior to that but you're an AEW fan, you would now be more likely to to check out NXT. So I think this would actually benefit NXT more because, uh, again, I think those that watch NXT know about AEW, but maybe those that watch AEW don't know about NXT. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I um, you know, there's a lot of talk. Everybody, you know, what the ratings would be, and obviously that's kind of impossible to tell right now because AEW has not been on TNT yet, so we don't know what that base audience is. But we do know that when NXT aired on the USA Network at one point, they did like an hour special last year. Uh, like it was like special on the one Wednesday night they did. I think they did like 800,000 viewers. So, I mean, I think you could safely say that Fox Sports has a little less penetration than USA. But I think you could safely say that NXT, just on a baseline with a little bit of promotion, will probably do six to eight hundred thousand if they air it on fox sports one um can AEW match that i mean again we don't know because we don't have a metric to go off of um so it'll be really interesting to see what happens and how those audiences cross over um and to see like what dvr numbers will be because i mean obviously you hear a lot of stuff about like you know the plus three numbers coming in late and like you know, Raw and SmackDown have become more DVRable as of late. Um, so if this happens and, like, say, NXT expands to two hours and say that they happen to, you know, go straight head-to-head, I mean, which is going to be the show that gets more DVR numbers? Who's going to win the straight head-to-head? Going to be really interesting. And again, I mean, NXT kind of is going to have that advantage being a WWE product because WWE is the big name the potential advertising on USA and Fox and the fact that you can say, Hey, this Wednesday, AJ Styles is going to wrestle Johnny Gargano or, you know, Daniel Bryan and Roderick strong. I mean, stuff like that, that, you know, that hardcore audience would want. Plus it's a, you know, styles and Bryan to become names to the main WWE fans. So possibly drawing more fans there. So that's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, but like you said, I think it'll probably be something two hours between NXT and the studio show, possibly two hours of NXT, 
Or maybe they change things up and somehow that's 205 Live gets moved to Wednesday instead of the network. It's There's a lot of stuff going on right now because of... It's hard to tell because we don't know what's going to be on the new network tiers when they go because there's going to be the free tier, kind of the tier we have now, and then the VIP tier. And is the VIP tier going to include like Evolve and uh, Progress and stuff like that? Or are they going to move like the big four pay-per-views to the VIP tier? And then, you know, I've heard speculation that they might put like Evolve specials on the free tier and use those to counter-program AEW pay-per-views. I mean, there's all kind of stuff going on. It's going to be really hard to tell. But keep in mind, WWE is, whether you like it or not, they're going to counter-program. They're going to play dirty pool with times. But it's a... Uh, it's going to be a war to some degree, and you know Vince talked about competition today, and he uh, he gets excited for it, Jeremy. Vince and competition, like I think this will re reignite the flame for for Vince McMahon, and like that, I think that's a good thing because he he needs something like this to to really get him going, and. It, if he is looking more big picture now and isn't looking and allows Bischoff and Heyman to, to do sort of that uh, lower level work for him, you know, it could, it could be a great thing for, for WWE. Like Vince has enough generals around him, whether, whether it's Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff, Triple H, obviously like those three right there are guys you would probably want in the trenches with you all things considered and and vince is like he's a leader he's led wwf through really good times and really really dark times so i i think this is going to be good for everyone involved and you know if wwe is counter programming with nxt and evolve like it's show and it's a no-lose situation for them because if if they do that and AEW wins or barely wins, it's like, okay, we're, we're throwing up our third brand against you and a, a show that we're not actually associated with, that we don't attach our name to. We promote, but we don't attach our name to. And, you know, if they win, then it's like you're not even competing against our third brand and a show we don't attach our name to. Like, you're... You're not as big as you think you are. So it's, it's a no-lose situation for WWE and for Vince McMahon if, if they do that. Um, unless it does just boost AEW to the stratosphere. But then AEW might get too big and feel like, all right, well, we can go up against the main roster. And maybe they can. Maybe maybe they can't. But it's an interesting thing that'll play out over the course of like many years, hopefully. I hope this isn't like a two-year thing where it's like, oh, well... That was fun. Remember when AEW existed? Like, I hope this is just a long-term thing and all of wrestling grows from it. Yeah, and I, I hope you're right. Cause I, I, if, hopefully, if this can reinvigorate Vince, that would be the best thing. And like you said, he has plenty of generals around him. And I think one of the biggest problems with WWE programming is his just insistence on fucking micromanagement and having to just change things all the time. You know, and hopefully if he is going to be a little more the big picture person now and let the others do things, I mean, maybe that will be for the best. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm hoping for good things. I know I'm excited about it. I don't see this uh, potential counter-programming war, whatever you want to call it, as a bad thing. This is just more interesting times for to be a wrestling fan. And, you know, 2019, dude, what a time, right? 
2019 certainly has been wild and is only going to get crazier in the coming weeks and then into the fall. Like the fall is just going to be nuts, especially October. Like October is going to be so crazy. Um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, because October you got the big AEW TV uh, debut. You have uh, SmackDown moving to Fox. You have MLW going on pay-per-view. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, speaking of things going on, uh, you know, we were talking about people working together and working against each other, and we had a had a falling out this week, Jeremy. Uh, the Ring of Honor and National Wrestling Alliance are no longer working together. Uh, NWA Nick, champion Nick Aldis is now off of the ROH Super Summer Card show on August 9th, which was going to feature a NWA title defense against a member of Villain Enterprises as well as ROH and CMLL stars. On that show, it was supposed to be a pretty big show, and uh, they've now lost that match and the uh, rumored NWA tag title match that was going to be on the show. Um, apparently, the split was amicable. Dave Lagana, who's the NWA vice president, finished up his uh, uh, work with ROH this week as he was producing a lot of the ROH pre-tapes and uh, promotional videos. And Billy Corgan is still planning to focus on producing some form of weekly NWA series later this year. The question is, is, like, I get that Billy wants to do his own thing, but if you're going to have a TV product, you need to have a roster. And you need to actually sign people. And the thing is, right now, the NWA's been running, like, they've run a couple big shows. Like, the, the Crockett Cup was with ROH, they ran the 70th anniversary show. But it's not like they're running shows with contracted talent. You know, they may have agreements with some guys for things like Aldis and Eli Drake and all that, but it's not like they have a roster locked in. So the ROH deal was really good for them because they were able to get the NWA name and titles on ROH TV and pay-per-views and special events. But now you're breaking away and, you know, I mean, the NWA stuff was interesting at times and I thought it helped ROH TV, but I think it hurts the NWA more than it hurts ROH. But what do you think about the potential NWA TV presence in the fall. I thought, first off, I thought this relationship was really good for, for both parties because I didn't view the NWA as a, a television company because, like you said, they don't really have a roster. Like, they've got all this. They've got Eli Drake. They've got a couple other people who were under the, the, the dudes who uh, lost to PCO and, and Brody King in the, the Crockett Cup. What, what's his name? Who, who sucked? Bram. He sucks. Uh like they've got him and they've, they've got a couple other people, but they don't really have like a roster, especially not a roster to run a television show. Uh, so that that part was weird. And I thought the ROH deal was very beneficial because like NWA could get the title on ROH. ROH is a good size promotion. So it gave NWA some exposure. NWA is always very generous to ROH as well. Um, and, and maybe they used ROH's name a little bit, but still they, their, their events were branded around ROH. They had a lot of ROH talent on there. ROH was mentioned a lot. I thought the NWA ROH deal was, not in terms of like results as far as like wrestlers you can work with as as far as publicity goes the nwa roh deal was better to me than the roh new japan deal because yeah new japan's going to give you better talent and you can put your talent over in new japan and, and do better with that but kevin kelly's not 
mentioning ROH uh, during these Jeff Cobb matches. Like, he rarely, if ever, mentions ROH. Like, they can't get their top ROH guys, uh, like, like, get Jay Lethal. Like, Matt Taven's not going over there and working shows and stuff. Like, they they don't really get the exposure you would think from the from the New Japan. Like ROH uses New Japan and tries to use their guys to gain exposure, but New Japan doesn't have a use for ROH. I I thought the NWA ROH deal was just mutually beneficial as far as exposure goes because both sides really used each other to the pro, the the realistic advantages of a working agreement of hey we're going to promote you we're going to put your guys on our shows you do the same for us and it worked out well. NWA going on television, I'm not buying it until I hear them like actually signing people because until they're signing contracts with guys, like I guess they can use freelance guys, but if they get a tell even if they just do streaming stuff, like MLW's not going to let their talent be on there, ROH now isn't, like AEW's not, like who Impact probably not, like who else are you going to get talent from like you're bidding against a lot of competitors right now? Like this is the almost the wrong time to try to get into this kind of war because you're either established and you're, you're part of it. Or if you're trying to get in, you're way down at the pecking order. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the NWA ROH working deal. I thought it was fun. I thought it was a, I thought the best part of it for ROH was the fact that they had access to Dave Lagana who put together some great video stuff for them and really helped add to the build of their pay-per-views and stuff. Um, I enjoyed, like, especially, like, Nick Aldis popping in on commentary to set up matches and stuff. I thought he was really great on commentary. And I just, I thought it worked out really well. So it is, and like you said, though, I think the key here is, it is, yeah, it's a bad time to try to get in because if you're realistically looking at things, Okay, if you're a, a freelance wrestler right now, and there's God knows it doesn't feel like there's a lot of them anymore, but okay, so your choices are, okay, I might have some WWE interest, but I'm not sure. And then it's like, well, AEW might be interested, and they're on TNT, and that's pretty big. And then it's like, okay, and then it's like, well, maybe I should hang on with ROH because I could possibly get into New Japan. And, you know, that's a viable option. Then there's MLW. It's like MLW has a okay TV deal. They're doing good live event crowds. They've been selling out a lot. Like, And and this is no offense to Impact. They're not doing like 800, 900,000 uh, seat sellouts like Impact does a lot of the time. They're doing like over 2,000 seat sellouts a good bit of the time. So MLW th- is hotter than Impact. Yeah. So MLW is growing. So it's like, you know, do I maybe go with MLW? It's like I can't see anywhere – you know, obviously impact too. So is in there. And then it's like, I can't see anybody going, you know what? The national wrestling Alliance, that's it. I just, yeah. And like, I don't know what kind of money Corgan's going to be able to offer these guys. And I just, yeah, I'm not going to believe it until they're actually on some sort of TV. I think honestly, they end up as some kind of YouTube product to be honest with you. I just, I don't think anybody's going to give them a TV deal because you have Impact who has, I mean, you know, they at least have access to some names at times and they're still having trouble getting a real good TV deal. MLW got BN Sports and that has been good for them because BN Sports has been very supportive of them and they've given them live specials and marathons and stuff. It's not a great deal as far as penetration goes, but it's a deal that pays money 
And it's a deal that is good for them right now, and it's more than a lot of people have. So, I mean, I just, yeah, I'm not going to buy the NWA thing until I see it. And I I think pulling out of the RH deal feels a little premature, and I wonder if there is, like, more going on behind the scenes that we're led to believe, you know? Well, PCO and Brody King are the NWA tag team champions, so we know they're under an ROH deal, so they got to somehow get the titles off of them. I here's one thing that could work to in the NWA's advantage. It's not a good time to jump in because you're competing. Uh, you're you're at the bottom of the pecking order for this talent. It's very possible that a talented guy or a handful of talented guys and girls look at the NWA and say, we can be bigger fish here. Because you go to AEW, you're not like the elite's gonna run that. Uh, some old WWE guys are gonna be there, like they're grooming guys like Jungle Boy and MJF. Like you're depending on where you're at, like you're not you're gonna be a mid card guy there. Um, you know, Impact has its established guys. MLW has their established people. ROH has their established people. If you want to try to make a bigger impact and try to just sell yourself to these other companies and be like, oh, hey, he's really killing it here in the NWA. Maybe we should offer him more. And like, you can almost use NWA as a stepping stone. And I think that's kind of where they're going to be. Is there going to be a stepping stone promotion and you can get guys and girls that way. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it, it's just not a long-term thing for, for NWA because no one will want to stay there long-term unless they just really are comfortable, you know, working kind of the, the independent loops and going where they want. And, and maybe NWA is offering good money and Hey, you can be on their show and probably be a big fish there. So I do think, that works for them otherwise they don't have a whole lot of advantages if you're trying to take some talent um from from these other companies yeah so again uh fall is going to be very interesting to see how things shake out and uh yeah kind of sad that that relationship is ending because i enjoyed it it was good It, it was helpful but what can you do when mlw's partnered with noah now we'll see how that works out for him yeah, well, that'd be nice to actually get to see some Noah guys just because I feel like I have to tape trade to get a fucking Noah show in 2019. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy, let's move on. Uh, let's catch back up on our New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax reviews. We got cut off last time due to my internet going all shitty. We were going to start night five and had to cut what we did off of that. But uh, we'll go back to night five, which was A Block action. Kenta defeating Lance Archer 12 minutes via submission. I thought this was very good. thought Kenta looked really good again. Lance Archer was great here again. He's having a hell of a tournament so far. I love seeing that. It's a dude is 42 coming off of back surgery a couple years ago. And it's just, he's killing it. And he is the dude that they should be pushing as the new Japan monster and not bad luck Fowle. I, I like Kenta's run so far. I think this this schedule really helps him out because this isn't the this isn't your your dad's G one grind, um, and that's not a bad thing. Like they had weekend shows, and then they had a show on Wednesday, and I thought, oh, well, great. Uh, maybe it was Tuesday, but I was like, great. They're they're going to be doing a block of shows like Wednesday, Thursday, maybe a day off. 
uh, and then Saturday, Sunday or something like that. Um, and instead it's like two days off. And, uh, so, so the next show isn't for a little bit and like, they're really, um, you know, they're, they're really spacing these shows out, which is, which is good for a lot of these guys. Like these guys kind of need that break. Um, so it makes it easier for Kenta to hold up because that was what we were worried about going in, not Kenta on night one or night two, but, but Kenta on night 11 or 12. Um, but He's holding up so far, and yeah, Lance Archer is great. I said it on the last podcast. He's he's had a really strong run, and I think this run ends up boosting him to uh, the U.S. title. Yeah, it'd be good to see. I, I'm I'm digging Archer. I love I love seeing guys having a like a late career renaissance like this because I mean he was a dude that I did enjoy back in the day in TNA. I thought he had there were times where he had some really good outings and showed like a ton of potential, and I thought he would always be a little more than he turned out to be. So. I'm digging this a lot, so it's good to see, and it's good seeing Kenta delivering, and it's uh, yeah, good stuff. And I agree about the G1 schedule; it's a, uh, it's less of a grind this year. I think they've learned lessons from the past couple years, which is good because uh, I think they know that they just they burnt guys out badly because there are guys that just that don't want you have like your Will Ospreys and Kota Bushis who don't want to take a night off, you know, in any way. They just want to go out there and kill it. So it's working out good so far. Uh, moving on, Evil defeated Sonata. Just over 18 minutes. Jeremy, your thoughts? Like this match, uh, like Sonata's run so far as well. Never, never a huge fan of Evil, but he he was good in this match. And they're they're tag team partners, so a lot of history to play off of. A lot of kind of one upsmanship and a lot of uh, I know what you're gonna do kind of stuff. So that stuff always works. Like when you have tag team partners um, who can work together in a singles environment and it doesn't always work uh we, we've seen throughout history where tag team partners just don't always click in singles matches um evil and sonata certainly did though so so good match evil winning i don't know don't quite like it i wish they still would just kind of do more with sonata fair enough i i really i like this one more than you i thought it was pretty great i i love the one upsmanship and the move stealing and the uh yeah i know what you're gonna do before you're gonna do it style thing uh, yes, yeah, Sonata's run, a bit surprising so far. Uh, not as successful as I would have thought, but uh, he's obviously delivering in the ring, so he has that going for him. And that's also part of the G1. You may not have a great record, but you have a chance to show off in the G1, and sometimes that's almost more important. Moving on, Okada defeated Bad Luck Fale just over 10 minutes via pin. Shockingly, uh, and God bless Okada, got a good match out of Fale because he knows what to do and he knows what Fale can't do and he sells like a motherfucker for him. And um, I mean, it was far from great, obviously, but I thought it was good. Okada and Fale matches are never like bad because Okada knows what he can do with Fale. Um, like it wasn't anything special. It was kind of every g1 okada fale match and again that's not a bad thing it's just you've got it like it's fale he's not going to have a great match even if it's with somebody like okada but okada is, does his best with him and it, it turns out to be fine yep and next up hiroshi tanahashi defeated Zack saber jr via pin although according to jeremy it does not count on the official standards because talking michinoko is not at ringside that's um, right but, uh, no, great matches always between these two. They know how to work with each other so well. Uh, you know, it's just, it was a move of constant counter and chain wrestling and just hold after hold and countering out and just 
Zach trying to, you know, take advantage of Tanahashi's various injuries and transitioning from submission to submission to submission. Just really, really great stuff as you'd expect from these two. And uh, Tanahashi picks up the win and Zach is still over. Love Zack Sabre, love Tanahashi. Zack Sabre knows how to work with him. I mean, Tanahashi works with everybody well, and I always say it's tough to have a bad match with uh, Zack because of his style. He can blend with anybody. But Zack Sabre Jr. with his, uh, you know, Tanahashi, his 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 whole thing is like he's bo- he's broken down, he's beat up, every limb is ready to fall off at, at a moment's notice. And so that's what makes the, the Zack Sabre Jr. matches so much better is because all of that limb work that he does, it's like, oh, he's going to rip this man's arm off. He's going to rip this man's leg off. Like he can, the joint manipulation stuff works well against anybody it works even better against tanahashi when you just know the story of just kind of how beaten down this guy is over the years but then he's tanahashi he overcomes and that's what happened here so tough for these two to have a bad match that does not count anyway yeah so uh, great stuff though and yeah zach obviously off to a rough start at 0 three at this point but he's had great matches so Again, it's uh, not the optimal results for him, but again, as long as you're impressing, and um, you know, I think that's important. And then the main event of Night 5 was Kota Obushi defeating Will Ospreay, 27 and a half minutes. I thought this was absolutely excellent, and at this point, I had it as the best match of the tournament. Your thoughts, Jeremy? Obviously, great match. Kota Ibushi rules. Will Ospreay rules. They were nicked up going into this match, and you knew that was going to be part of the story. It was. They also did a lot of callbacks to to the Wrestle Kingdom match. Uh, just overall, just just a great piece of business. And um, yeah, not much. You know, Ibushi wins, which he he certainly needed. And um, I just. I don't know a whole lot more to say about it. Like it was just a fucking great match. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you have to say about it because it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd like to get deep into analyzing sometimes, but sometimes it's a great match is a great match. So that's the best way to put it. So we'll move on to night six. We're back in B block action. Shingo defeated Tai Chi in the opener of the evening. Uh, actually a really, really good match with, uh, Tai Chi toning down to bullshit and actually working hard. Shingo is just great. Uh, he tried to kill each other with lariats and everything, just pummeling each other. Uh, great stuff. And, uh, Shingo picking up the win, which he should have because Tai Chi sucks. Tai Chi does suck, but he had a good match here. I credit completely to Shingo, uh, yeah, it was it was good. I didn't like it quite as much as as you do because I just I have a bias against Tai Chi and so it's just tough for me to enjoy his stuff, but I love Shingo and and did really enjoy this match uh considering it involved Tai Chi. That's fair enough. I understand that. I mean, it is it is hard to get into some guy. Like I have I have trouble getting into his matches sometimes and they they don't do a lot for me a lot of the time, but yeah, I did enjoy this. Uh, the adorable Hawaiian Buddha, Jeff Cobb, got on the board, defeating Juice Robinson, 13 and a half minutes. Thought they had a good match. Uh, just never quite got to that next level and felt great for me. Agreed. And the crowd, this was another one where, where the crowd like wasn't 
100% into it. I think if they do a similar match with, with more time, um, even though this one got 13, 14 minutes, so they did have time. It's not like it was a nine-minute match or anything. Uh, I think this match in front of a different crowd might play out a little bit differently, but it's also kind of what you said. like They never quite got out of that uh, second gear, and so if you don't give a reason to, to get the crowd into things, like then the crowd's not going to get into things. I, I'd still like to see them work together again because we – we know they can have better matches uh, with other people, and I think they can have a better match together as well. I agree. Next up, your boy Toriano defeated Jay White in three minutes via pin. Chaos fucking over JJ White from his heel turn last year continues as the boys from Chaos go 3-0 and against Jay White uh, to start off the G1. White falls to 0-3. And again, I know some people will bitch about the Yano matches, but I enjoyed this because it was part of a bigger story. And it was nice to see Chaos get that early revenge. And just uh, to see Jay White start 0-3 after he started so strong last year. The best match in the tournament thus far. The great Toriano getting one over on the sneaky heel Jay White. The the. I guess Rocky Romero is the king of sneaky style, but the the prince of sneaky style, Yano, does better than just the evil sneaky style, Jay White. I love this match because it had Yano and like, yeah, chaos getting over on Jay White was was the story uh, for the early portion of this tournament. It worked. No one really thought Yano, especially after Jay White started zero and two. It's like okay, well he's definitely going to win this match. And it's like, nope, Yano's going to beat him. And it's like, oh, okay, Yano's going to beat him. Uh, but I thought I thought it worked great. Yeah, and I, I, I was surprised by the result. I thought that that was where Jay White was going to get on the board. But uh, no, I, I appreciate the fact that he actually lost and that uh, kind of chaos mini story played out to start off the tournament. And I think that's one of the other things I really enjoy about the G1 is when you have these like little underlying stories like that. You know, that's an early story right there, and it uh, played off well, so I enjoyed that. Uh, next up, uh, Tetsuya Naido defeated Hiroki Goto in just over 14 minutes. I uh, thought they had a very good match, obviously not their best. It was kind of like the Juice and Jeff Cobb match. Uh, they work really well together. They work a ton of great counter stuff because they know each other so well, but it just never really got to that Super exciting point, and I just kind of never felt Goto was going to win, which kind of hurt the drama for me. Yeah, once Naito was 0-2, he was one of the favorites coming into this tournament, so he wasn't going to lose to to Goto. So that that took a little bit out of this match. And, I mean, we've said it before with Goto. Like, he gets the big win over Jay White, and then he loses his next two matches, and it's like, all right, why should I care about Goto? Yeah, it's uh his booking is really hard to get behind him at all and that's and I understand you know why there are people that just have like a lack of interest in his matches. I mean, I get it because it's kind of hard to become invested at that point. So yeah, Naito picks up the big win that he obviously needed here to get on the board. And then the main event of the evening was John Moxley defeating Big Tom Ishii 20 and a half minutes and an absolutely excellent for fucking uh Excellent wrestling match. Sorry, I was got a little tongue-tied there, but is this was great. It was just a an insane fight and brawl vibe. 
It was Ishii being Ishii. It was Moxley being Moxley so far. Keeps bringing a different vibe to his match. Possibly the highlight of the tournament was they had set up a table on the floor. Ishii took out Moxley, laid him on the table. And then the flying bus headed up to the top rope. And he hit the big high fly flow through the table, Jeremy. It was amazing. This match fucking ruled. Like, I... They were up in each other's faces before the bell rang, and I was like, oh, man, these fucking guys are about to bang it out. And that's exactly what they did. It felt different from just about everything in the G1. Uh, Moxley, yeah, he, he's bringing a different style to this G1, and it's it's great. Ishii is awesome, and like they, they clicked. Moxley's having a hell of a run. Ishii always brings it in the G1, and this match, this match ruled. This was my favorite match outside of the the Yano matches up uh, up until this point. I like this better than um, Osprey and Ibushi. Fair enough, dude. I know a lot of people share that actually, so that's that's not completely out there, and I can see why they're totally different stylistic matches. And yeah, but it's it was an excellent match, easily one of the best of the tournament so far. And um, yeah, Moxley is bringing it. It's great. So uh, we're to go on to night seven now. Back to A Block action, Jeremy and. One of the things we keep talking about in this tournament is the importance of variety. You have John Moxley bringing a different vibe to his matches. You have the Toriyanu matches. And we talk about various finishes that also help. And in the best of Super Junior, you had Kinemaru got a really sh- shitty heel countout win on Shingo. Uh, not Shingo, on um, Show. And it was just like, everybody was like kind of disappointed. But it was a great little heel thing, and it played off well. And it reminded everybody that... For as much as they tease the countouts, that they can actually happen. And here we are. Zack Sabre Jr. finally gets on the board, defeating Bad Luck Fale six and a half minutes via countout. We're in Kirk and Hall, and they start off. Zack tries to run wild. Fale cuts him off. They brawl on the floor. Fale's just beating the shit out of him. They brawl up into the second level of Kirk and where they've done so a few times here in the uh, Super Juniors and G1 stuff. And they're, they're just battling, and Zack Sabre Jr. all of a sudden locks on like a hanging armbar, and he gets a triangle, and then he breaks it like 16. And this fucker sprints down the steps, back towards the ring, slides in, Fale gets up, he makes an effort to get back in, but he's counted out, he's still about 100 feet from the ring. Um, just Zack gets on the board, it played off well, and the crowd loved it. This was the right spot to do it because Kirk and Hall reacted to it really well. They do these count out teases, it seems like every single match, and it always, you know, gets to 18 or 19, and then both guys will be in the ring. But this is why they do it so often, is so when they actually pull the trigger on this count out finish, like you can get the big reaction out of it. And it's like, oh, this time the guy didn't make it. So it shows that they do all of, these, all of these teases and it could mean something, even though 95% of the time, like it doesn't. Uh, Zach Sabre finally wins in a match that still doesn't technically count, but at least he he did win in Fallet. They protect the shit out of him in, the, in these G1s, and, and this was another way to do that. The match was nothing special, but uh, it, it was a creative finish, if nothing else. Yeah, and I really like the finish because, again, you're you're selling the fact that the countout is a viable finish. And um, so that's why it worked well for me. Plus, the, when the crowd actually reacts to it like that, 
instead of like groaning, like, you know, you see like count out and like on raw or something and people are just like, uh, but like the crowd actually popped because Zach out, outsmarted the asshole valet. And so it worked and it was good to see him get on the board. Tanahashi defeated Lance Archer up next, just over 12 minutes. Jeremy, your thoughts. Archer continues to, to have a strong, strong run. Uh, this match wasn't like spectacular, but it was still very good. Uh, Tanahashi's great. Tanahashi kind of he needed the victory role to win. So it was it comes off as almost a fluke like victory or, you know, the, the veteran Tanahashi who's been in this position many, many times before outsmarted Archer. Not that Archer hasn't been around, but he hasn't been in this G1 level of competition. Uh, so Tanahashi just kind of outsmarted him there. So it played well. Archer looked strong and Tanahashi pulls it off. Yeah, I agree. Very good stuff. Lance Archer delivers another good, very good performance. The ace rods again, picking up a much needed win. Uh, next up, Kenta goes uh, undefeated so far, defeating Evil in 15 minutes. Thought this was really good as well. Good hard-hitting stuff. Uh, match by match, Kenta is getting more confident, more comfortable, feeling more like older Kenta. He's never going to fully be older uh, older Kenta, but he's he's great when he can be an asshole. And he was just like... The best way to put it is he was a condescending asshole this entire match. Just in the way he delivered uh, his offense, the way he reacted to evil, the way he talked to him. Uh, just worked out really well. Another really strong performance for him. He goes 4-0 and and is set for a big clash with Okada this weekend. The Kenta Okada clash is certainly going to be something, and we'll talk about it a little bit more once we once we get to Okada. But Kenta's looked really strong. They're obviously putting him over um, in a big way. I mean, he's undefeated so far at this point in the tournament. Looked good here against Evil, um, and, and maybe this is why Evil got the victory over Sonata to kind of show like, all right, this guy's serious, and then. Kenta beats him. Uh, if, if that's the case, then you know, smart on Gato to it's it's short, more short term book him, booking. Uh, but Sonata can we'll see how he finishes in the tournament. Uh, but yeah, I like that. I like this overall. Yeah, and I I'm, I'm I got the feeling I think Kenta beats Okada Saturday because I think that's going to be the big October title match. Very possible and and very like. It, it seems like a good idea to me. So, yeah, I could see them doing that. Yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility. So, uh, next up, Kotobushi defeated Sonata. Very good match. Um, very athletic-based match. Not quite as crazy as you would think with the Ibushi ankle injury. But uh, he and Sonata work really well together. Uh, unfortunately, Sonata drops another one here. But he puts in another really good performance. Yeah, Sonata's run, that's just kind of the story of it. He's having these great matches, and he's not winning any of them. And it kind of sucks as someone who who really likes Sonata. It'd just be cool if he could get a couple of wins in this thing. Um, Ibushi, he, he's needed these victories, and he's getting them now because we expect him to, to be right there at the very end. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's tough for Ibushi and Sonata to have a bad match. They, they did have – I think they can have – better matches because it feels like they could have just a, a five-star match and we haven't seen it from them like they had that weird match last year that was like 
good but had just some weird moments and awkward moments in it that were kind of tough to defend uh th- this match was a little bit crisper but maybe didn't like reach the the peak that last year's match did I-, I feel like there's a great match in these two that we haven't quite seen yet i completely agree with that yeah it's um they definitely have the potential because we've seen it with abushi time after time and sonata has obviously stepped up and both guys like just gifted athletic freaks as well so Crazy stuff those guys can do. Uh, very enjoyable, though. Um, so, finally, to close out night seven was uh, Okada defeating Will Ospreay at 22 minutes. Um, there was a lot of excitement and a lot of hope that Ospreay could actually be the first junior heavyweight champion to beat the heavyweight champion because they've done the champion versus champion matches for years. New Japan has always done the IWGP champion wins. And just with the general push that Osprey's gotten, I think people were kind of hoping for that because then you could maybe do him and Okada at Royal Quest in August. Um, but, I mean, while Osprey didn't win, they had an excellent professional wrestling match. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Will was great here. Okada was great. Everything worked. They had the crowd into it really well. I've seen people go higher than the rating I gave it. I went four and a half. And I can understand why. It was just an excellent piece of business. And uh, the two guys in the main event pretty much delivering what you would expect them to. Tough for Osprey and Okada to have a bad match together. This match, another one that just completely ruled. I still liked Moxley and Ishii slightly better maybe it's because it's just something different and like no knock on osprey or okada but when you've seen it a thousand times even though it's great even though it's kind of there's difference in those thousand matches it's still osprey and okada like they they've wrestled before i've seen all this stuff before like moxley and ishii just had that fresh vibe to it something new that you haven't seen something that you may never see again uh if, if both guys stay with their respective companies for as long as we think they will meanwhile you're gonna see okada and osprey again you're gonna see ibushi and osprey again and you've already seen those matches before that's my reasoning on liking moxley and uh ishii more nothing to take away from okada and osprey because it fucking ruled it was great um and yeah okada wins not too surprising i'm with you they could have they could have put will over here set up something at royal quest but okada I, I like that he stayed undefeated going into the Kenta match. I think if Kenta beats him now, that win for Kenta means a whole lot more. And I think Kenta needs that victory to to really establish him as a New Japan threat more than Osprey because Osprey is already at that level. Yeah, I mean Osprey's a made man at this point, and like you said, that's when you look at it afterwards. It's like it's a little disappointing they didn't have Osprey win, but then when you're looking at like you said, you look at the bigger picture and the fact that Kenta's a excuse me, about to possibly, they're about to have this match and he may be a title contender down the line if he beats Osprey, and I think that's the play here. Honestly, it makes sense. So it's not a complaint. I just, uh, it kind of felt like I was watching that match and the crowd was so into it, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm like this feels like the time. And, I mean, obviously they thought different. And, again, you can go back and you can make various arguments on when the time is right for things. Because, I mean, we can argue that Naito should have beat Okada at the Tokyo Dome because the crowd was hot and the time was right. But then you look how they did it to build the record title run and to do the crowning of Omega and stuff and how that played out. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue that it didn't work out for the best still. 
But again, I'm not going to argue if somebody thought Osprey should have won. But I think it works out well for what they're doing here. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm very interested to see what uh, Kenta and Okada looks like on Saturday. It's going to fucking rule, I would assume. I mean, one would think so. Uh, Moving on, this will catch us up on G1, Jeremy. We go to night eight, which was back to B block action. Started off with Juice Robinson defeating your boy Toriano in just over four minutes. This match was hilarious because they stood, they go to start out and Juice looks at him and goes, No bullshit, Yano. And so the first thing Yano does is go after the buckle pad and then he tries to cradle him a hundred times and goes for about 50 low blows with Juice keeps countering. But the story was here that Juice Robinson is not that, uh, that uh, immature young man that doesn't know anything anymore. He has picked up on all of Yano's shenanigans and finally overcame the sublime master thief, especially because he did not have dreadlocks to tie to the barricade this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the, the wrong man won. That's about my only complaint <laughs> with this match. It, it was, it was exactly what you would want from a Yano and Juice Robinson match, even though this is like super serious Juice Robinson, like he still has that fun side to him. So it, it was what you would want from this match. Well, Juice was serious. He told me he's like, no fucking bullshit. Yeah. So. Well, <laughs> but he does it in such a like campy way yeah. that it's still like Juice Robinson. So he he's such a good performer. My my daughter, um, Hannah, my older daughter was going to work. So she popped in when I was reviewing this. And she saw Juice come out. And if you haven't seen Juice lately, I mean, Juice is always, he's the flamboyant Juice Robinson. And he's, he always has his multicolor stuff. And he's wearing like multicolor long, long uh, tights. And he has like the white jacket. And then he has like this kind of like miniature looking white Undertaker hat deal going now. (laughs) And um, my daughter walks in, I'm reviewing this match and Juice walks out. She goes, is he the um, master ceremonies for the pride parade? And I laughed. And, Could be. And and that is not like an anti-gay joke for anybody gets pissed because my young daughter goes to the Pride Parade because she is openly gay. So fuck off. I don't want anybody turning this into some stupid bullshit. But I laughed at that. That made me laugh at you know 5.30 in the morning or whatever the hell time I was reviewing this and trying to stay awake. Uh, he, he certainly could be. And yeah, no one give Larry shit about this. That's stupid. Um, I'm glad you explained it because somebody probably would have given you shit. Oh, I, I know how it works, dude. It's someone, <laughs> you know what they would have done? They would have done what they do to Meltzer. They would have taken that like six second video clip and posted it on Twitter. And it would have been labeled like Zonka goes on anti-gade parade, you know, tirade. Yeah, but Dave doesn't clarify and actually does stick his foot in his mouth a little bit too often. No, I agree, but there are times that people creatively edit clips, though. Yes, So it's like, that's what I'm saying. That's what it had done to me. But yeah, I mean, I don't care. I laughed. It's 5.30 in the morning. My daughter's dropping me off a coffee and making a funny joke. I laughed. Deal with it. So uh, yeah, Juice picks up a big win there. He's had a good run. Uh, Yeah, the honest stuff again, it is what it is. He gives a guy a night off. It was funny and entertaining. I, did, I laughed at the the repeated no bullshit stuff and then him constantly going for the low blow. And Juice was just like, fuck you, dude. I'm too smart for this this year. I'm not a young boy anymore. So good stuff. Next up, not so good stuff. Tai Chi defeated Goto. 12 long minutes. Um, it was a very Tai Chi match. All the horrible bells and whistles that he likes to use. And could have done without this one. 
Tai Chi sucks. Goto looks like a geek. The, this match did nothing for anyone. Yeah, and I think that's the worst part is it did not help anybody at all. So uh, next up is uh, the John Moxley defeating Shingo. 14 minutes, 45 seconds uh, via submission. Uh, this was a great piece of business. Moxley not only brought the brawling style in, but he also uh, decided to throw a little, uh, little little wrestling in there to uh, take advantage of the bigger, stronger Shingo. Uh, he attacked the knee, which we saw done during the Best of Super Juniors. Uh, hit the knee trembler a few times. He worked a, worked a post in figure four. Just working the knee the whole time. Eventually won with a cloverleaf. And uh, John Moxley undefeated so far in the G1. Heading for a clash with Naito. This was the match where... John, like Moxley has clicked with me throughout this whole tournament. I, I've literally just said Moxley and Ishii was my favorite match. But... When Moxley's making his entrance for this match, and maybe it's because he was coming off the Ishii performance, I was like, this guy is a fucking star over there. And like just in the world. Like I like this guy is so good. And again, maybe it was because I just watched the Ishii match. Uh he cut that great promo on the uh AEW Road 2. And like just his whole persona and everything right now, everything just feels like it's clicking for this guy. And then he goes out there and he has the, another great match with Shingo. And like you said, he had the brawling style, but he clicked in with some some technical wrestling, a lot of uh, William Regal influence we saw in this one. And just everything about this guy is working right now, from his in-ring work to his character to just the way he carries himself. Like Everything is clicking for this guy. Exactly, and it really is. And he's he's not only wrestling like a star, he looks like a complete star right now. And, I mean, I know AEW and New Japan aren't working together, but do you know how bad I would love for them to just so Shooter Umino could go on his excursion to America and work AEW and be with Mox all the time? They've got to work something out for that to happen. This, the, the, the Umino and Moxley pairing needs more life than the, this G1 run. Because when I first saw him coming out and carrying the title, I was like, this is so perfect. And they're working tag matches. Just like, come on. Just keep these guys together one way or another. I know, seriously. Send them on excursion to AEW, man. Just please. They don't even have to have a formal working agreement. Just let the the, uh, the goodness continue. Because more importantly, I want Shooter Umino in the U.S. to corner Mox when he goes to Bloodsport. We need that. We 100% need Umino cornering Moxley against Josh Barnett. I know. See, I'm telling you, dude. I got the ideas. Then give us the book, Jeremy. We deserve the book. We certainly do. So uh, next up, Jay White finally got on the board, defeating the adorable Hawaiian Buddha, Jeff Cobb, in 15 minutes. Uh, it was a very Jay White match, heavy with the uh, the counter-wrestling and trying to outsmart Cobb, which uh, he successfully did most of the time. And then we got a little bit of the uh, the Gato influence and interference and stuff, which took away a bit. But I uh, thought it was good overall, and you know, White finally gets on the board after the... Uh, after the run of losing to his former Chaos teammates, which I greatly enjoyed. Jay White needed this win. I, going 0-4 would have been tough for him. Like This guy was he was the last IWGP champion prior to Okada. Like He was the last guy to hold the belt. And he's been 
put over really strong in the last year and a half. So to to get off to that start, he couldn't afford to go zero and four. Um, and now, like I imagine, he'll go on a, a run here because this block it's easier to to justify some of these wins. Like it's much tougher in the other block to to give you give wins over like Ospreys and Abushis and Kentas. Uh, but but this block just has more winnable matches for Jay White and. I think he'll go on a run here, and this was the start of it. The the match was good. Uh, Jay White's better than yeah, I think a lot of people will give him credit for, and Jeff Cobb's really good. Yeah, I I really dig the uh, the counter style wrestling he does. I think a lot of it plays really well. And I also the heel stuff that he does with it. Like there was one part where he was teasing a German, and then he uh, Cobb went for an elbow, and he used that to sucker him into a snap Saito. And then he rolled over on his stomach and then just did the point to his temple thing like, I'm fucking smart. And it's just like, it's like he looked like such a bag of douche. And, he, I, and he, I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, he really does. He's like, nope, not doing this today. Nope, I knew you were going to do that. Like he he has those mannerisms, like so those heel mannerisms down. He, he does the the like talking that I know some people like and some people don't, but for him, I think it works. He, he's really got his whole character together. Um, and yeah, I think, I think Jay White is, is very good. I've called him the best counter wrestling in, in the world. And I think when it comes to like finishers and stuff, like he really is, he can turn the, uh, um, he can turn his finisher into anything. He can escape a lot of different holds. So uh, I love Jay White. I think he's great. Yeah, his some of his closing stretch stuff has been magnificent this year. It is really is, and that's uh, yeah. The Blade Runner stuff's been really good. Yeah, it's, it's the way, and like you said, the way he finds a way to kind of counter in and out of everybody else's shit into that, and that's a uh, that's that's a really big asset because you look at like you know your big time New Japan matches and how important the closing stretch can be, and when you have that like extra hot added uh, spice to the finish with stuff like that can sometimes take a match to another level. So really great stuff um, in terms of that. But yeah, good match. And main event, uh, Tetsuya Naido defeats Big Tom Ishii, goes 2-2 two and two finally, uh, and finally uh, stepped up and had a great match here with Ishii because these two guys know each other really well. Uh, they have a history of great matches, and they pretty much called on all of that here. Um, just great performance from both guys. Ishii continues to have a... One of the best tournaments going right now, along with like Osprey and um, Naito um, evens things up and it looks primed to go on a run. It will be interesting to see the booking of the Moxley match. I think that's where Naito's got to have the victory. Moxley is certainly, I mean, he's been positioned the strongest in, in this bracket. So he... He's clearly going to keep winning matches. He's already got big wins over guys like Ishii and Shingo. Like those are two, really two of the top names in this bracket. It's those two, White and Naito. Like those are aside from Moxley. Like those are the four top names in the bracket. I think, and, and Moxley's already beaten two of them. So he he's certainly. The booking will be interesting. I think Naito will, will end up winning that. As far as this match goes, I liked it. Uh, this is not a complaint against... I have two complaints. The first one has nothing to do with Naito or Ishii. Uh, my 
feed on New Japan World kept cutting in and out during this match. Um, and even on the replay, I don't know what happened. It just kept pausing and then would pick up and then would pause again three seconds later. Very tough to get into a match when it pauses literally every three seconds and does it for a good like five minutes. Um, it, it just interrupts the flow of the match. I that, that is nothing. That that's fair. I can I can one hundred percent blame Tai Chi for this. Uh, again, nothing to do with the performers. It just it's tough to get into the flow of the match when this keep ha- keeps happening. And I didn't want to like keep going back and rewatching it because it just kept happening. So I was like, well, fuck it. I just want to get through this match. Uh, my second complaint, and I complained about this on Twitter, and I've complained about this before. Kevin Kelly's got to stop calling this Destino. Uh, the first one, like it's the like it's the actual Destino because. It just makes this finish look so weak. Like, literally everybody. And in this match, it, it really annoyed me because Kevin Kelly was, like, shocked when Ishii kicked out of the first one. He's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Like, dude, Tai Chi just kicked out of this fucking move. Like, everyone kicks out of the first one. And Rocky Romero tries to save it. Like, oh, it's the short arm Destino. And I, I've seen people uh, in the comments, because you comment on it, Um and people in the comments are like, oh, well, that's not the actual Destino and stuff. Like, cool, great. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is a short on version. Maybe it is a different version than the actual Destino. Kevin Kelly is calling it. Like, it's the 100% finished Destino with the long Destino. I'm not going to do it. But, like, that's how he calls it. So it gives the impression that it's the top move. And then everyone kicks out. So it looks like he just always needs two. It's just it's very annoying that he calls it like this and there's no it, it makes the finish look weak. It doesn't it just doesn't come off well for anybody. And I can agree with that. It, it makes sense. And yeah, people were kind of complaining about that again in my review. And I didn't say always. I said it was the short arm, the, the short Destino. And they're like, well, you Larry gets it confused all the time. I'm like, I didn't get it confused. I called it exactly what the fuck it was. I'm like. Don't get mad at me. And then, like, I, I called something, I, I called a move something, and they were like, well, that's not what it is, it's this. And I'm like, well, maybe you should take it up with the fucking New Japan announce team who called it what I called it. It's like, you know, it's like, I can only call what they're calling things, you know? I'm like, I can't, just because you know it is something else. Oh, they were like, because Moxley does the same thing. He'll hit, like, the double arm DDT, which is Death Rider, and then, like, the elevated one is the finish. Right. And it's like, well, the first one's not actually Death Rider. It's just a butterfly DDT. It's like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Are we really going to argue this? Let's argue quarter stars while we're at it, too. <laughs> what the fuck? Calm down. It's like, it's not ruining anything. But yeah, it's a... Uh, no, I get what you're saying. It, it does make sense. Yeah. It's, and yeah, I mean, you know what, though? I mean, it's like, I get what you're saying, but I also... I, I at least appreciate that Kevin Kelly is actually into the goddamn product. Because it's like, how many times do you see an exciting closing stretch in WWE and like Michael Cole and Corey Graves and them are too busy fucking arguing over Baron Corbin's vest to actually get invested in something, you know? It's like, but yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense what you're saying. But yeah, it's a, uh, I appreciate his, uh, his gusto and excitement. Sure. Uh, either just call it the short arm Destino and don't drag out your O's so yeah. long and then act shocked when someone kicks out because everyone kicks out of that. Or Naito just, he needs a new like setup move. He needs a new signature move. And, you know, he can beat some guys with it early on to really establish it because he, he doesn't beat anybody with the short arm Destino. So he just needs something more to differentiate 
the two versions. And then you know what? When the shorter arm version hits, like then it can actually finish people if you have a, a new signature move because then it can be called like, oh, it's the short arm, but it's still Destino. He just does it kind of a quicker version. It still has the same impact. Like you can actually reestablish that as uh, a finishing move the, in the same vein of the, uh, the, the, the typical Destino because it's – to the untrained eye, it looks like the same move. Like, unless you're a hardcore New Japan fan, if you're watching this for the first time, you're like, okay, he just hit literally the same move. The announcer called it the same. Why does it take him two to hit it? So I, I think actually just having a different signature move would, would be super helpful for Naito in that you can do more with the short arm Destino after that, and then hopefully not everyone kicks out. And I wish they would have thought about that heading into the G1 because, like we talked about, you had Kenta using the uh, like the label lock, you know, and like kind of omoplata label lock for a submission on Lance Archer, and that's a viable finish now because he beat a guy with it and he beat a monster with it. So later on in a bigger match, let's let's say deep into the Okada match, he locks that on. Fans are probably going to react to that as a viable finish. Instead of just, oh, it's a submission hold. And, you know, right. Moxley used the cloverleaf on Shingo. So if he doesn't use that for a couple matches and then breaks out the cloverleaf later on, again, it's going to get more of a reaction because we've seen him win with it. So, no, I mean, I totally get your point. I think it's an extremely fair point. I think that is probably one of the few things that Kevin Kelly does wrong is that call because I think he's ex- exceptionally very good at his job. Um, but yeah, it's, um, those are very fair points. Cause like you said, if you're not a new Japan fan and you see that, yeah, it looks like he's just hitting the same move twice. Like, well, he didn't hit it good the first time. So he has to redo it. Yeah. Th- this is Kevin Kelly is great. Like it is, I don't think it's a nitpick because a nitpick would be more like picking at something that doesn't really matter. I think this three seconds too long. That's yeah. I guess, but he calls it you know, he calls it the same as the, the finishing move. I just think it would add more into to the product if he just didn't do that. Or And Rocky Romero, again, to put him over, he's done a great job clarifying, oh, that's the short arm version. It's just, okay, it's a nitpick. Stop holding your O's so damn long, Kevin Kelly. Or Naito, get a, get a new signature move. Yeah, fair enough, dude. So that's a... Uh... That'll uh, catch us up on the G1 coverage for now, Jeremy. So we will close with that tonight i thank you for your time as always yeah i'm glad we could finally catch up on the g1 i feel like i'm caught up on everything now i'm glad to be doing these podcasts again because i missed talking wrestling while i was away i know watching it well good news this weekend jeremy we have g1 shows and we have smackville live on the wwe network i'm not watching that show you are watching smackville I'm letting you know right now, I'm not watching this Smackville show. It's it's literally a house show that's just on the WWE Network. Nothing, I, I, I don't know. If you want to review it, I will gladly watch it. But otherwise, that's the only reason I'm watching this thing. Well, that's because... the only reason you're watching it then, because we're reviewing it for the Damn kids. It. Damn it. Fine, I will watch Smackville. I mean, this UFC card sucks this weekend outside of the title fight, so I'll just watch Smackville instead of these terrible UFC prelims. See, there you go. See, I'm saving you. <laughs> so, but no, so- this Smackville show is going to be 
just the com- most average show ever. Very likely so. So that'll wrap us up for tonight. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please remember you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course on the 411mania.com website itself. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. And if you have time, please leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it because we know there are many options for you to listen to. Have a good weekend, everybody, and happy wrestling.